Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Hi, Hope Community Church. It is a pleasure to be here with you today to be able to open God's Word with you. If you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 25. And I just want to thank your pastor, Mike Lee, for this opportunity to share the scriptures with you. And a part of the reason that we're going to Matthew 25 is because of this series that you find yourself in, Big God, Big Church. And what we're going to talk about, if you're familiar with Bible study, you'll, you'll kind of know this is that I believe that you are a five-talent church. The way God is using your church to reach people all over the world and right there in the triangle, you should not take this for granted. You are a part of a move of God. Now, I know that we don't know each other and you have no idea who I am and that's okay because I'm just a nobody willing to tell anybody about the somebody that wants to save everybody. But I did grow up kind of at least in one of the Carolinas and kind of the, the younger brother of the Carolinas. I grew up in Dillon, South Carolina. And maybe you've never heard of it, but it's a little rest stop on the way to the Redneck Riviera that is Myrtle Beach. And it is the land of rednecks and mullets and Camaros and PBR and things like that. And my daddy used to always say the best thing ever come out of Dillon, South Carolina is I-95, and that is a fact. And so for some reason, God called me into ministry so he would get all the glory and I've been teaching the Bible for the last 25 years or so, and I am excited to do this with you. So grab your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> We're gonna pick it up in verse 14, and Jesus says this, for it, and the it that he is talking about here matters a lot. In Matthew chapter 24, the disciples come to Jesus and ask him this very important question. Ultimately, they say, Jesus, what will the end of the world be like? What will end times be like? And then all through chapter 24, Jesus lays out these specific prophecies, mostly from the book of Daniel, about wars and rumors of wars and the, and, and the, and the abomination of desolation and his return. And I think the disciples were very, very, very confused. And it's easy to get confused when you talk about end times. And so ultimately, Jesus says this, <clears throat> Don't pay so much attention on the what's gonna happen. Pay attention on who is returning. And then he tells three stories to illustrate or answer the question, what's the end of the world gonna be like? The first one is called the parable of the virgins. Doesn't mean what you think it means. It ultimately means don't miss the party. That God has given an invitation to anyone who would believe and one day the party starts and the invitation is over. So before your last breath or before the return of Christ, whatever you do, submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't miss the party. The third parable that he tells is known as the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says that when he returns, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. And ultimately, the final exam as proof of our salvation is whatever we've done for the least of these, we've done unto Christ. Now, not if we obey, then we will be accepted. But if we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we have been run over by the grace train of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes the way we treat the least of these in the world. But we're gonna spend our time on the second parable, 
which ultimately what Jesus is saying is, it's not YOLO, you only live once, it's, it's you only live forever. So whatever you do, don't waste your life. That everything that you have been given will either bring you regret or reward. So, <clears throat> for it, and again, the it is, he's answering the end of the world question. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. <clears throat> this is very important. Whose property? His property. That everything we have is a blood-bought grace gift from God. And everything we have is ultimately on loan for God. I know we live in a culture that says more is mine, but ultimately we don't own anything and we can't keep anything. That all we can do with the things that we have been given is we can give it, we can spend it, and we can leave it. And some of you say, no, we can save it, <laughs> but only for a minute. Because I don't know if you realize this, but the death rate in America hovers right around 100%. That's right. That means every single one of us is going to die. That you're gonna die, they're gonna dig a hole in the ground, they're gonna throw you in it, throw dirt in your face, come back to your church, eat potato salad, and talk about how great you look. And guess what you're gonna do with all your stuff? Everything you have, we will leave behind. And all the things that we just thought we had to have, like that new car and that new house and those pants that make you look so thin, your children are going to go through all of your stuff and mock you for your stuff. I hope you realize that. Then they're gonna hold up your jeans and they're gonna say, look at mom's jeans. Could you believe she wore jeans like this? And they're gonna take anything that they think is valuable. They're gonna take your golf clubs that you just had to have. They're gonna take the things that they think are valuable and everything else will be sold in a garage sale. Unless you're making bank, then they sell it in an estate sale, but it's ultimately the same thing, just little triangle sandwiches. This is true. And everything that God has given us, we, have, we are stewards of. And one day, we will be held accountable for everything that he has given us, and again, it will bring either great reward or great regret. Verse 15, to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Now, in the Bible, this, this, this word talent was a measure of money. It equaled 20 years wages. Now, when we talk about it in this sermon, I don't want you to just think about money, though that is a part of what God has given us, but I want you to think about the way we use talent, the word talent in English, <clears throat> like, like gifts and abilities and opportunities and upbringing and all of these kinds of things, and notice what God does. God gives one man five, one man two, and one man one, maybe you wanna jot this down, especially if you're a little younger. Fairness is not a biblical value. God is the sovereign king of the universe. He does what he wants with who he wants, when he wants for his own glory. So he gives one five, one two, and one one. And then the Bible says, and then he went away. <clears throat> and he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. Hope, let me just tell you, delayed obedience is disobedience. And what we're gonna find out <clears throat> with the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy is that they spent zero time comparing what they had to what others had or did not have. They spent zero time playing this comparison game because the reality is, is that when we compare, we always lose. That nothing will rob you of joy more than comparing yourself to other people. Because ultimately, when we compare ourselves to other people, it's an affront against God. Because what we're saying is, God, you didn't do this right. You gave her too much and me not enough. 
And the problem with comparison is it's a lose-lose proposition. There's no way you can win when you compare. Because sometimes you compare yourself to someone and you feel better about yourself than you should and you're puffed up with pride. And C.S. Lewis says pride is the granddaddy of all sins. Or sometimes you compare yourself with somebody else and you look down your nose at them and who do you think you are? You see, that occasionally we find somebody to compare ourselves with and they have so much that we are beaten down with condemnation. And the Bible says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And again, when we compare, we, get to hear, we begin to hear these whispers of ego and insecurity. And that is not the language of the heavenly father. You see, comparison is a trap. And I'm telling you, we live in a world right now where we wake up every single morning to these little comparison boxes and we begin to scroll through. And the problem is, <clears throat> is that we compare what we know about ourselves to what we don't know about other people. And we compare our unfiltered life to their filtered life and it is a big, fat lie. And the reason I know it's a lie is because a few years ago, <clears throat> we were coming back from Disney I live in Jacksonville, Florida. It's only a couple of hours from Disney. We're Disney people. We probably go too much. And, uh, you know, it's the happiest place on earth. I've been there a hundred times, never found a happy person in the whole place, but whatever, we go. And in my house, we have two different kind of travel situations, okay? Uh, we have a trip and we have a vacation. If the kids go, it's a trip. If it's just me and mama, it's a vacation. You see, the trip, it's a, little more, uh, it's a little more Presbyterian. All the elect come, and it's very orderly, and we have a schedule. But if it's a vacation, if it's just me and mama, it's kind of Pentecostal. A lot of, a lot of laying on the hands and speaking in tongues, if you know what I'm saying. But anyway, this was a trip. And on our way home from the Disney trip, my wife is scrolling through Instagram, <clears throat> and she says, look, our son has an Instagram account. And on his Instagram account, he put this picture. I want to show it to you. All right. His Instagram account is called jpmartin7759. He's only got two likes. That was me and his mama like this. So <clears throat> his name is Joseph Perry Martin IV. I'm the third. My dad's junior. I was almost junior, junior. That happens where I'm from. We're really into us at my house. But anyway, and he posts this, and, and, and I, I don't know if you can see it. If you look down at the bottom, it says this. Coming back from Disney today with the best family ever. Now, I'm going to tell you if, you, if this is all you know about my family, we are the best family ever. I mean, take a look at this picture. We're at this place called the hoop de doo That's my little beautiful bombshell, Reagan Capri. I think she was seven in this trip. She's awesome. She says she loves Jesus. We have yet to see the fruit of that conversion, but we are praying that God will finish his work there. There's my little boy, little stud with his glasses on and his perfect part, square chin. There's my beautiful wife, Gretchen. She sings on our worship team. She's super talented, and she has her head nuzzled against my well-chiseled shoulder. Best family ever right? Now, let me tell you what was actually happening moments before that professional photographer took that picture. <clears throat> we were at this place called the Hoopty Doo, and you can't get there from here. You got to get on the bus, get on the bus, get on the bus, and we we're just being corralled around like cattle with all of these people, and then between one bus and the next bus, it begins to pour down rain, and so I run into this little Disney store and have to buy ponchos for my family. They are $16 a poncho, all right? And when I open it up, it's basically just a trash bag with a hole in the head. 
and I need a hole in the head because I'm paying 16 bucks for these things, and apparently the family that wore them before us uh, died in them, or maybe they were a cast of the walking dead. They smelled like death, and so we put these things on, and then we get in line at the hoopty Two to get our free photo uh, of our family, and while we're in line, my son says to me, Dad, my head is killing me, and I'm like, bro, you're killing me. Why didn't you tell me when we were back in the room when we had all the medicine, now we've gotta go on a scavenger hunt to find some Advil, so little man and I go looking around at the, wherever we were, at the hoopty doo and we're looking for Advil. Well, I find this little country store, and I find this bottle of pills, but it doesn't say Advil, it just says fever reducer. Well, he doesn't have a fever, I don't know if it's gonna work, so I take a picture of it, and I text it to Gretchen. Will this work? No reply, no reply. So I text back, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, nothing. Then I text something to the effect of, how come when we're together, all you do is look at your phone, but when we're not, you won't answer a text? Something like that. You ever been there? Well, finally, I just make the call and say, this will work. We get it, we go to line. I'm like, boy, you gotta take these. He says, I don't have any water. I say, well, suck it up, buttercup. You're gonna chew them. So we're standing in line. He's crunching through his Advil. The rain almost stops. We take off our ponchos. We stand up there, and it's ready. It's time for us to take the picture. And what you can't hear on the picture is once we gather together, Reagan Capri starts saying, JP, quit. Don't touch me. Don't put put your finger in my ears. And at that point, he was in middle school, so all he could say is, what, what, what? And I'm like, keep your hands to yourself. Reagan, you better act like you're having a good time. Gretchen, get off your phone and get in the picture. Ready, three, two, one, snap. Best family ever. You see, when we compare ourselves to one another, ultimately, we compare all that we know about us to what we don't know about everybody else. We are comparing our B-roll to their highlight reel. And one of the best things that you could do as a Jesus follower is to be the you that God created you to be and spend no time in the losing game of comparison. Verse 16. And he had received received the five talents, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more, and so also he had received the two talents, made two talents more. He didn't whine and complain. He didn't compare. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. By the way, I think this is most church people in America, is that God has given you resource and gifts and talents and opportunities, and we have settled for something that has nothing to do with what Jesus called us to do when he said, come and follow me. And we go to church a little bit and we hear great sermons and we're entertained by great music and then we go and do nothing about it. It is the way most Americans live. We settle for so little and yet God has so so great a plan for you for his glory. And so many, so many people just wake up every day And you eat something, you drive something, you go to work, you sell something, you come home, you eat something, you watch something, you go to sleep, you do it again, again, and again, and your biggest prayer is, thank God it's Friday. And you're just taking another lap on the merry-go-round of normality. The only problem is, it's not so merry. This is what so many people are doing. When you begin to realize that God is for you, it's just not about you. It can free you up to live your life for his glory and a big God through his big, big church by using little old you could change the whole world. So this man who received one talent, he went and he dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. Verse 19, now after a long time. Now again, he's talking about the return of Jesus, but he's also saying oftentimes 
It takes a long time for our disobedience to really manifest itself. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Church, every single one of us one day will stand before God and settle accounts with him. And everything that we have been given, every dime, every relationship, every opportunity, our education, all of these things, everything that we have been given will either bring us great regret or great reward. Now look what happens. And he who had received the five talents came forward. Of course course he did. He's stoked. He can't wait to see the master. Why? Because he has good news. Have you ever done this? Has your boss ever been away on a two-week vacation and while your boss was out, you landed the biggest account in your company? Guess who's in the boss's office when he gets back? You are. You've got his coffee, you've got his paper. You're like, how was your vacation? Ask me about my week. Why? Because you want to settle accounts because you know that you have good news. This is what this man does, the five-talent man. But notice where he starts. (laughs) As he shows up, he comes forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Notice where he starts. He does not start with what he has done. He starts with what the master has done on his behalf. Again, a talent is the equivalent of about 20 years wages, so it would be like a million dollars. So ultimately, what this man is saying is, master, I didn't have five million dollars, and for some reason, you gave me five million dollars, and so I couldn't have done it without you. That this man has an attitude of gratitude and every single one of us live on a continuum between gratitude and entitlement. And this man understands that all he has came through the hands of his master. And so, the man with the five talents, he comes forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. And ultimately, in, in Greek, it means like, here you go. And here you go. I have made five talents more. Verse 21, pay attention to this. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well intentioned, not well prayed over, not well thought out, but well done. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that gets things done? Now, intentions, honestly, they're kind of useless. Sometimes Christians will pray over a thing and pray over a thing and pray over a thing and never do the thing that God has told you to do. Now, I am pro-prayer unless you're using prayer as an excuse to not take the action that God has called you to take. Aren't you glad that when Jesus pushed up on his nail-pierced feet at the cross, he didn't cross his fingers and say, hope this works. No, he says, it is finished. Aren't you glad that when God so loved the world that he didn't just have good intentions and hope it worked out. He didn't just pray about it, but he gave his only begotten son. We serve a God that gets things done. You see, intentions, you know this, intentions are worthless. Do you know how I know this? How many of you had intentions of getting in shape this year? Well, how's that working out? How many of you have an unused piece of gym equipment? How is that helping you out? It is not, regardless of your intention. Do you know what's never, ever happened in the history of humanity? You've never walked into the church and somebody look at you and be like, girl, look at you, losing weight, looking good. What happened? And you say, well, I got a gym membership. And somebody say, where do you go to the gym? No, I don't go to the gym. I got a membership and now, that is not the way it works. It's not your intentions that make things happen. But he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, You have been faithful over a little. 
I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, same thing, here you go. I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, he's gonna give him the exact same blessing, which means this, that God Almighty, your maker, your king, your master, he's not comparing you to anybody else because you are the only you he has ever created. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice he doesn't say well done, good and fruitful servant, that the fruitfulness is up to the Lord. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, just a note. I want you to, don't miss the gospel here. Because the gospel is not, if you do good works, then one day God will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. No, no, no. That we are not saved by works. Well, we are. We're just saved by Christ's finished work on the cross. But when we know that when Christ pushed up on his nail-pierced feet and says, it is finished, and the moment that we believe that that counted for me, then we are run over by the grace train of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it changes everything about everything about the way we spend our life. And we submit and we surrender our lives to him, and because of his great work for us, then we get to work on his behalf, not so that he will love us, but because we know that he already does and he has demonstrated his love for us in this that while we were yet still sinners Christ died for us you see the gospel is not God is good you are bad try harder I'll see you next week no 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 the gospel is even when we were unworthy that God sent his son to live the life that we could not live to die the death on the cross that we deserve to pay the price for our sin and death and then adopt us into his family as sons and daughters and then and then we are invited into the family business of sharing the gospel And so he tells him, he tells the two-talent guy, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You've been faithful over a little. I will give you more. Verse 24, and he who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Verse 25, so I was afraid. You might wanna underline those words. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground here You have what is yours. You see, ultimately, what we find out here is the one-talent man did not know the master. The one-talent man did not trust the master, that he knew about the master, but he did not know him. He was putting his trust in his circumstances. And so, because he was gripped with fear, he did not take action on what the master had called him to do, but he was paralyzed. You see, I wanna share something with you. Did you know that the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. And so, if you have some doubts, whether you've been a Christian for a really long time or you're checking out this whole Jesus thing, if you have a list of unanswered questions and what about the dinosaurs and help me understand creation and what do, why do bad things happen to good people, if you have a list of things and you just can't get your mind around how these things work out in light of who God is, if you've got doubts, I've got some really good news for you. You can make a great disciple. And you say, well, how do you say that, Pastor? Because the original 12 disciples had some serious doubts 
about Jesus and who he said he was. In fact, in the beginning, they doubted the resurrection, and it's kind of a, the main event of the whole deal. In fact, one of the disciples is called Doubting Thomas, and he makes it in. You see, the opposite of faith is not doubt. In fact, if you've got doubts, here's what you do. You just pick up your doubts and you follow after Jesus. You pick up your questions and by faith you follow after Jesus. And one day, one day, all of your doubts will go away. All of your questions will be answered. Now, not next Tuesday, but when you get to heaven, there will be no doubts. Nobody's gonna come up to you in heaven and be like, bro, are you serious? Do you believe in Jesus? You go, <laughs> he's sitting right there. Just ask him yourself. You see, because faith becomes sight. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Because faith produces action. And fear paralyzes. You see, ultimately, what fear is, is fear is taking your trust and putting it in your circumstances. And faith is taking your trust and putting it in your sovereign Savior over your circumstances. And I've got good news. If you're afraid, did you know that the most commanded thing in all the scriptures is don't be afraid? In the King James Version of the Bible, I've read that there is some version of don't be afraid 366 times. Why? Because I don't know about you, but for me, every day of my life, including leap year, I need to hear don't be afraid because I am with you. You see, <clears throat> perfect love cast out fear. If you were in Christ, the Bible says that you have not been given a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. So pick up your doubts, pick up your unanswered questions, and follow after Jesus by faith. This man was afraid, so he was paralyzed, verse 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Now, <clears throat> why do you think Jesus calls the man slothful? Because if I'm the attorney for the one-talent guy, I am looking at the master and going, uh, I object. My, my client is not lazy. I mean, you gave him, you gave him a talent. You gave him like a million dollars, but you didn't do it on a debit card. You gave it to him in like shekels or denarii. So it was bag after bag after bag after bag of coin. And so the brother had to go. You see, the, the other two guys, they like went and invested it in Wall Street and they doubled it and they've been in like a, a John MacArthur Bible study for the whole time you've been gone. My client had to go to Lowe's, he had to get a wheelbarrow, he had to come in and, and get a shovel and get some land and dig a hole the size of a swimming pool, put all those coins in, then he had to cover it up and make it look like nobody could understand there was treasure there. And then he saw on Facebook that you checked back in, so he had to go back to Lowe's because you can never go once, get the wheelbarrow, come back, haul it all back to the master. He has been working his fingers to the bone. How can you call him lazy and slothful? You see, I don't know about you. I don't know a whole lot of slothfully lazy people. I know a whole bunch of selectively lazy people. And here's what I mean. Like this one talent man, we can often get busy with the comfortable so as to avoid the faithful. Like we get busy with church activities to avoid a faith step with Jesus. We get busy with our hobbies and lazy with our relationships. We get busy with work and lazy with our faith. We get busy building our brand and lazy making disciples. We get busy entertaining ourselves and lazy loving our neighbors as ourselves. He says, the master says to him, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. 
but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness, into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hope Church, let me just encourage you. This guy doesn't get thrown out because of what he had done. He gets thrown out because what he was, had done was evidence that he didn't know the master. Hope Church, you are a five-talent church led by a five-talent pastor. And whatever you do, whatever you do, let me encourage you, don't waste your life. Don't waste your money and don't waste your time and don't waste your talent, but use all the treasure that God has given to you to treasure Christ before all things. Let me ask you this question. What word best describes you right now? Faithful or fearful? Has God given you a talent? Has he given you a resource? It could be financial resources. It could be a serving opportunity. It could be a ministry idea. And by fear, you have gone and dug a hole and hid it in that place. And maybe in this moment right now, what the Spirit of God is asking you to do is to go get that proverbial shovel and dig it all up and go and risk it for the glory of God. A question somebody asked me a whole bunch of years ago is this. If you could do anything for the glory of God and you knew it wouldn't fail, what would you do? And the moment you know the answer to that question, the next one is this, then why aren't you doing it? Now church, for some of you, what that's gonna mean is some of you are gonna go and sell everything that you have and live on mission in the Congo. And for a bunch of you, what that means is you're gonna go get back in your minivan and live on mission in the PTA. And by the way, just for the record, the PTA is much more dangerous. But the reality is, is you don't need to live out somebody else's calling in your life. You need to live out the calling that God has in your life. But church, you are a five-talent church. I hope and I pray and I encourage you to act like it and risk it all for the glory of God. Now, I don't know if I'm a five-talent guy or not. I guess it'll take a lifetime to see. But one time in my life, I had the distinct opportunity of having dinner with somebody that is no doubt a five-talent man. Years ago, uh, a doctor in our church called me up and said, hey, pastor, I need you to pray about something. Dr. Billy Graham will be at my house for dinner next week. Would you like to come and have dinner with us? And I said, buddy, some things you don't have to pray about. Of course, yes. And so my wife, Gretchen, and I, we pull up to this home here in Jacksonville, and Dr. Billy Graham was having dinner there. Now, just in case you don't know who he is, which I'm sure you do because you live in North Carolina, but just in case, he is the greatest evangelist to ever live. More people have come to Christ through the ministry of Dr. Billy Graham than any other ministry in the history of the church. And not only that, not only was he a phenomenal communicator of the gospel, but his decades and decades and decades of ministry were marked by character and integrity and love for his wife and family. And so I pull up and I see him. There's Billy Graham and I am freaking out in the best way possible. And I walk up to him and I stick out my hand and I say, hey, Dr. Graham, I'm Pastor Joby Martin. And he says to me, well, hello, Pastor. And I thought, what? He called me Pastor. Billy Graham called me pastor. Then my wife Gretchen's like, well, he probably just don't know your name. And I'm like, woman, are you even being serious right now? And after a little while, the people that that were hosting us had told him about our church and what we were doing and what God was doing in us and through us and to us. And and so he says, so tell me a little about your church. And I said, well, we had a pretty big weekend last weekend. We baptized 137 people in the ocean, so we're pretty stoked about that. And he looked surprised. He looked shocked. He sits up in his chair, 
And with wide eyes, he says, well, I've, I've never heard of such a thing. To which I thought, you know, I think you have. Um, <laughs> I mean, I remember, I've read that in 1975 in Seoul, Korea, at one event, 75,000 people surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I think you've heard of such things. But you know what he did? <clears throat> he never compared his worldwide, global, multi-generational ministry to the little thing we were doing down here in Jacksonville. He just celebrated what God was doing there and never compared it to what he was doing. And we, were, we had just finished dinner and he looks at my wife. My wife's on the worship team. Somebody must have told him. And he says, ma'am, I understand that you're a worship leader. And she says, yes, sir, I am. He says, would you sing me a song? And she's super introverted and she looked at me kind of shy and I'm like, woman, you better sing. If Billy says sing, you better sing. And so she gets up, she walks around, and he's sitting right here at the head of the table, and I'm sitting next to him, and occasionally I just rub my knee on him. I was just trying to get some of it on me, you know? And she comes over, and she, he couldn't hear too good then. He, she kneels right down by his ear, and she starts singing this song. And as she's singing, he just closes his eyes, and he lifts one hand like this. He's just worshiping. And she looks at me, and I did the pastor move to just keep it going. You know, the buses will wait. And then finally, when she gets done, he opens his eyes and he says, well, I believe that's the most beautiful song I've ever heard. And I was like, baby, you can sing, but the brothers heard some people sing, you understand, but he did not compare her to anybody else. He just appreciated the gift that God had given her. I said, Dr. Dr. Graham, would you pray for our, our ministry? And he held my hand, he held her hand. He never prayed for our ministry one time. He said, God, protect this man from himself. God, help this man love his wife like Christ loved the church. When he said amen, he looked at me. He said, you love your wife? Jesus will build his church. And then before we were gonna leave, <clears throat> I asked him. I said, Dr. Graham, if you could preach one more time, if you could do one more crusade, one more revival, if you could travel and preach one more time, what would you preach about? And without thinking about it, he said, oh, that's easy. I would preach Galatians six fourteen, and just left it there. And when he said Galatians six fourteen, I went, mmm, Mm, Galatians, mm, started mooing. You ever hear people in church moo? That's how people try to sound spiritual. They go, mm. Well, here's the thing. I didn't even know what Galatians 6.14 was. I don't have the whole thing memorized. So I'm over there just mooing, mm-hmm, and I, he couldn't see good. So I get my phone, and I bring it over here like this, get my Bible app out, look up Galatians 6.14. And it says, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That of all the people that could ever boast in what they had done for Christ, the verse that he wanted to identify him was this, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And on February 21st, 2018, Dr. Billy Graham breathed his last here on earth and the next breath he inhaled, he was in the very presence of God, his father and king. And he heard these words, <clears throat> well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, <clears throat> the reason that he heard those words is not because of all the good things that he did for the kingdom of God. The reason that he heard those words is because of what the king did on the cross when he said, it is finished. But he was so moved, he was so transformed, he was so changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that when he was given five talents, he went at once and was obedient to do what God had called him to do. Hope, 
What does that mean for you? May you be the kind of church filled with the kind of Christ followers that are five talent and two talent men and women and students and may you go at once and if you've hidden any of their talents, may you dig them all up and present them before the king and risk it, uh, risk it all for the glory of God and one day, if you're a Jesus follower, you and I will hear the same words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the master. Hope, let me pray for you. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I pray uh, that we would know who we are because of you. God, we love you because you loved us first and you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to be resurrected on the third day, and for anyone who would believe in you, that we would be credited or imputed with your very righteousness. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would speak clearly to your people, that where they need conviction, you would convict, and where they need comforting, you would comfort, and where the enemy tries to condemn, you would remind them that therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray, I pray that the men and the women and the students at Hope would rise up and continue to be five talent disciples because you have called them to it. And Lord, we thank you for the promise of these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.